we're jumping back into a sermon series that we've just taken a few weeks off from. Uh, we wanted to highlight Easter and talk about the champion who Jesus is, champion over the grave, champion at the table, champion over the cross, champion ascending into heaven. He is our champion, amen? And we never will forget that, and we live in that. We, we walk as winning because of who he is in us. Um, and then last week, we talked about Praise God for moms, amen? We talked about motherhood, and we learned from two moms found in the Bible, uh, Lois and Eunice. That's actually Timothy, St. Timothy's mom and his grandmother. And we, we looked at their lives and their sincere faith. And so if you want to catch up on any of that, you can. And also, if you want to catch up on where we've been in Nehemiah, you also can. Walkchurch.com and check out the sermon archive there. Well, today I'm excited to jump back into this awesome book found in the Old Testament, and prayerfully, hopefully, believing that God has a word for you through this book. Yeah. Um, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn, me to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 7. That's where we're going to spend the majority of our time here today, Nehemiah 7. We're also going to tiptoe into chapter 8, and I believe there's going to be something in there that's going to challenge you a little bit and that you can grab a hold of and begin to walk out this week. Um, if you need a Bible, go ahead and slip your hand in the air like you just do care. We'd love to bless you with a copy of God's Word today. And we have one down here and some other places. We'd love to bless you with the Bible. We're going to walk one down to you right now. Okay, boom. There we go. Praise God. Thank you for that, Japper. Um, Nehemiah, right? We're in the Old Testament. We're in chapter 7. If you're ready, say, say ready. If you're hungry, say let's eat. We believe every word proves true. And man doesn't just live off of bread alone, but off of every word that flows from God's mouth recorded for us through his word. Here we go. Father, as we, as we open and eat your word right now, Lord, we ask you to speak to us. Teach us something in a fresh way. Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds to not just read your word, but that your word would read us and that, God, we would leave here changed that those watching online would engage in your word right now. Speak to us. Jump off of the book into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 7. Let me just go ahead and share with you up front. Spoiler alert. These are not the most lavish scriptures in the Bible. There's not a whole lot of mushy-gushy stuff in here. But come on, every word is important. Amen? Amen. There's something in there if you really give it a chance. Now, when the wall had been built... And I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. Verse 3, And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their homes. Verse 4. And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go ahead and jump into verse 4. And the city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and to the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first, and I found written in it, verse 6, 
These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of the exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. They came with Zerubbabel. Everybody say Zerubbabel. Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramah, Nehemani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpereth, Begavi, Nahum, and Bana. The number of men of the people of Israel, verse 8, the sons of Parush, 2,172, the sons of Shephatiah, 372. The sons of Era, 652. And at that point, I put a dot, dot, dot because I wanted to save you the burden of having me read 70 verses of genealogy and trying my best to pronounce names that I'm not 100% sure I'm getting right. All right? So your homework for today is to read the rest of chapter 7 if you want and to try to make your way, trudge your way through the genealogy of those who made it back after the wall had been built. Can we keep reading? Yeah. How about this side? Can we keep reading and give it our best? Okay, let's look at chapter 8. Come on, jumping into chapter 8. So we're, we're stepping past all the genealogy. It's really good stuff. encourage you to check it out right into chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse 2. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, verse 3, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Somebody say that's a long sermon. Early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And of the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, all right, here we go, Mataniah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, and on his right, and Pediah. Mashiel, Malachijah, Hashum, yeah, Hashbadon, Zechariah, and Meshulam, and on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. I love this moment. Just imagine Ezra, who also wrote a book in the Bible, this scribe, step up on this wooden block to open up this book for the first time in a long time. The people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. Come on, help me. Amen. 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 Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shekabah, Harai, Masai, Gili, Azariah, Josbad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites. Help the people to understand the law. Forgive me, Lord. If, if, if they're upset with me up there, I'll make it right. With the people, remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Amen. Praise God. This is the word of God. I want to preach a message to you. Amen. Yeah, Julio's like, I'll clap for the word. Um, I want to lean in this morning 
in a message that I really sense the Holy Spirit place upon my heart today in a subject that I'm titling New Priorities. New Priorities. There's this really interesting moment that's happening in the book of Nehemiah where some new priorities are being established. And maybe for some of you today, you might leave here or click offline at some point and say, okay, because I went to church today, because I sat underneath this word today, I have some new priorities today. And that would be a good thing. Up to this point, we, we find Nehemiah get this, well, he got this God dream, didn't he? If you haven't read this book, or if you're not familiar with the story, again, you can go back and watch any of these sermons, but we find in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah faced with this bad news. He gets this bad report that what had happened in his hometown of Jerusalem, the the gates have been broken, have been set on fire, the town has been ambushed, and people, his family, his friends, including his own life, has been exiled outside of the homeland. People have been dispersed in all types of different areas. Some people ended up with King Nebuchadnezzar. Some people, like Nehemiah, ended up with King Artaxerxes, who are these pagan kings believing in all types of false, lowercase g, gods, worshiping false idols. And different people from Israel were dispersed and placed in different spaces, trying to figure out how to get back home, trying to figure out how to make it right. See, what's so interesting, if, if you read the Bible, you'll see this dance of the people of Israel and God Almost like this double judge. It's like one day I love the Lord, the next day I don't know the Lord. One day I'm serving him forever, the next day I don't want to do anything. Then One day I'm worshiping God with everything, the next day I'm building a golden calf and putting my earrings on it to worship a false God that doesn't even exist. And God says, well, if you're going to do that, you're unstable in your ways. And God allowed for kings and armies to invade his own homeland and people. And we find the people dispersed. And so Nehemiah gets this report. How's things going? He, he hears that it's not going good. And so Nehemiah gets this God burden. And I love this burden that Nehemiah gets. He says, I want to be the change that I want to see. Nehemiah says, you know what? If nothing else is going on, I'll go myself. Send me, God. And he approaches King Artaxerxes and he says, would you have favor on my life to go? Send me, give me papers, give me advocate, advocacy, give me resources so I can go build this wall. Well, chapters two through six, we find Nehemiah doing the work. And what happens when you just go for it? Well, sometimes you tend to face opposition. We have a very real enemy, Satan, who hates when we live out the calling on our lives. Nehemiah faced opposition from the outside. He faced opposition in the inside But yet he didn't give up on the dream God gave him. He began to build this wall. He began to recruit a team. He began to place people in the right places. And Nehemiah wasn't above the work either, right? He talks about how he had the sword in one hand and the hammer in the other hand, fencing off the enemy, yet staying true to the work God called him to do. But right here in chapter 7, in verse 1, I thought we were going to have at least a little bit of a clap. (laughs) Chapter 7, verse 1, it says it like this. Now, when the wall had been built, Nehemiah was like, all these to-be-continued moments on this wall being built. Well, hey, it, it got built there, finished it up, and I had set up the doors. I love how Nehemiah goes. I, get, I, I had this vision of Nehemiah like setting up a door. He's doing the work. And the gatekeepers, 
the singers and the Levites had been appointed. Somebody say teamwork, teamwork. makes the dream work. I mean, right, right he, we see him setting up the doors. We see the gatekeepers. We needed some people to be gatekeepers and be protectors and security. And just these gates were being established. And the singers, come on, like Nehemiah's like, I didn't have a Bluetooth Spotify playlist. I had appointed people. Can y'all just sing while we do the work? Shout out to the singers. Amen. And the Levites had been appointed. And I gave my brother Hanani. And Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. One thing that we see here, the first thing that we see is the new priority established from Nehemiah, is we see a new leadership appointed. When Nehemiah begins to establish this new city, huh, this new wall has been built. Right? We have all types of different leaders in place. Nehemiah has done a great job. In fact, the people even made Nehemiah the governor of Israel at that time. Right? He goes, you know what? I'm not a politician. I was just a cupbearer for the king, but now they've made me governor. I'm trying to figure this thing out. I love how Nehemiah says, in order for us to do it, I got to have the right leaders. Nehemiah appoints new leadership. It was a priority for him. Now, who are these leaders? Look at verse 2 with me. It says, I gave my brother Hananiah, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. As I was reading this chunk of scripture, I, I had to highlight this bottom part because it really stuck out to me. And here was the question that I challenged myself with. How would people write about me in a chapter? What type of reputation do you have? If somebody were to describe your life in just two statements, what would they use to describe you? I love how Hananiah is described as somebody who is more faithful and more God-fearing than many. Lord, help me to be like that. God, give me a spirit of faithfulness and a spirit that fears God over fearing man. And I trust him and pursue him. And so much so that it's evident. Can I just remind you something here today, Walk Church? Somebody's watching your life. Be the standard. Somebody is watching you when you're at home. Somebody's watching you when you're here at church. I, I, not that they should be. I'm just saying that somebody might be like watching how you worship. I don't know. Somebody might be watching how you work. Somebody may be watching. Are you taking plays off? Are you walking in integrity? Are you faithful? The thing about Hananiah is that Nehemiah was watching Hananiah's life, and he said, in order for me to put somebody in charge of the people, they first have to be faithful. Faithful. There's a, there's a proverb in Proverbs 20 that always hits me whenever I read this proverb. It says it like this. It says that a faithful person, who can find? Many people proclaim their steadfast love. There's many people who say, oh, oh, I'm so loving and I'm so faithful, but a faithful person who can find. Nehemiah says, oh, I found one. His name's Hananiah. Not only is he faithful, but he's God-fearing. I think that if I'm transparent with you here today, I'm going to tell on myself a couple times, all right? And hopefully it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself because we're on this journey together, Amen. amen. You know, it, anybody ever played one of those video games like 2K or Madden or whatever, or, or you, get, you get like a player and you see their stats, right? I feel like my God-fearing stats could still go up. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm like, you know, I'm up there, but there's still a few blanks on my stat. 
record. I feel like I can grow in the area of being a God-fearing man. I think sometimes we, tr- we treat God too casual. I know that maybe you would consider him to be a friend, and maybe you would have a Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt, but can I tell you he's so much more than that? He's so much more than that. Oh, friend, he is big, huge, gigantic. He is the capital K-I-N-G, king of all the lowercase k kings. Like my son, Epaph, is all into the solar system right now. He's like talking about Venus, and he's talking about Saturn, and he's talking about planet Earth, and he's thinking about, he has this little solar system foam thing that he set up. He's like, where do these things come from? God is really big. That God breathed, and some of those planets popped up. I don't know fully how that happened. you got to ask him in heaven someday. But I just want to tell you, God is really big. Now, on one hand, that should terrify you. And on the other hand, that should encourage you. Because this really big, huge God knows your name. It's amazing. Like, I even want to, in a way, if I could help humble you, that's not my job to do. But what I'm going to say is humbling to me is the reality that on your best day, you are a tiny speck in a big world. Like, smaller than an ant. Like, if we zoomed out of this school and went up top where God has that view, I mean, is there a word that's less than a speck? That's us. We are not that important. But can I tell you something today? God is. He he is. And the more you get fascinated with him, even over yourself, the more joyful you'll be. And and, and the more excited you get and the more knowledgeable you get of the fact that that big God knows this little you and loves you so much he would die for you, I think maybe you'll be faithful to him and to him alone. And that you would then have a sense of fear and reverence and awe toward this big God. I think that's really the starting place of your life as a believer. I mean, this is what King Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Where do we start? We start with this fear of God. Fools despise wisdom. And instruction. I would even challenge you today. Don't be foolish to despise the words that we're reading from this book. But actually lean into them. Because this is, this is the starting place. If you jump out of Proverbs 1, jump into Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now what's really interesting, church, is the author of the book of Proverbs is a cat named Solomon. Solomon, in chapter 3 of 1 Kings, has this moment where God invites Solomon to have a prayer answered. He says, Solomon, I'll give you a prayer request. Let me know what it is. I'll do it for you. And Solomon says, God, make me the wisest and most understanding person that ever lived. I want to have the most wisdom, knowledge, and insight a person can have. And God, in his grace, bestows upon Solomon the, the, the biggest amount of knowledge a, a brain can hold. And Solomon then pulls out a scroll, 
gets one of those feathery pens, that's how I view it, and he begins to write the Proverbs. And here's what he writes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, if you want to learn from somebody today, before, skip over all the philosophers to learn from this cat first. Solomon had the wisdom that, that people from all over the world, not flew out, but found out to try to find and hear from him. And we have this book. And I just want to encourage you on these two traits that we find in Hananiah, faithful, God-fearing, that friend, those are two areas to focus on in this season. Amen? Amen. If you got all that, say, I got it. it. The second thing we see here in the scripture is not only new leadership appointed, but we see a new attendance taken. Um, We find here, this is a little bit of a history lesson. The man, Nehemiah, gets hold of this genealogy and he wants to figure out who is who. Who's supposed to be in the town? Who's not supposed to be in the town? Where are these people? What are we doing? He finally builds this wall. It says only a few people are living within the city, but a whole lot more people are making their way back. Come on, look at with me. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 5. He says, Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. So God gave Nehemiah this idea. Here was the idea. Get the nobles, get the officials. And figure out who used to live here. And figure out where they went. And figure out if they're coming back. And I found the book of genealogy of those who came up at the first. And I found written in it, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his his town. What's so neat is you find all these names and all these families and all these sons and daughters that's recorded in Nehemiah 7, this is, this is Nehemiah taking roll. It's a roll call. He's taking attendance. He's saying, I, I know that these were the people who once lived here. I know that you got outcast and exiled out of here. Now you're making your way back. Now, I don't know if they had social media at the time. In fact, I know that they didn't. Okay, let me just say that. I don't think they had like a big news breaking alert channel on their TV. But at some point, somebody had to show up. For these people and to say, hey, let's listen, listen, this little birdie speaking, there's this cat named Nehemiah. He's back in the hometown and he rebuilt the wall and he has faith. They've made him the governor. He's respected amongst kings. He has papers and backing. He's got all types of teamwork and finances. You can go home. And Nehemiah gets this list of all the people who are making their way back. And he begins to count and figure out who's who. And, okay, you need to, yeah, this is your, this is your land. And he begins to recount all who those people are and all the people that came with them. He, he takes roll of who they are. So, one, we see new leaders appointed. Two, we see a new attendance taken. And then third and finally... I want to look at this last point. We see a new prioritization given. So as the leadership is appointed, as the people make their way into the land, we see a new prioritization hit the people, hit Nehemiah, hit the land with a new sense of focus. And I believe this new focus is on the word and on the worship. And today, maybe you would say, I need to get a reprioritization on the word and on worship. Can I just define the word prioritize? Can I? Anybody? I better. I I need to. 
The word prioritize is a verb. It means to designate or treat something as more important than other things. What does, it need, what does it mean to make something a priority? It means to designate or treat something as more important than something else, than other things. What I want to submit to you here today is that the people in the land found a way to prioritize the book. That they said, you know what? If we're going to start fresh, we need to return to the word. We need to reform back to the word. Come on, Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's read it one more time. Let's look at it. We'll draw some principles out and then we'll be done today. It says, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. Can you see everybody? I I see this sea of people who have now made their way back. They're there gathered to figure out what does this new season of life look like? They're gathered there in front of this land, in front of the water gate. And Ezra, the scribe, brings out the book of the law of Moses. He has a copy of God's word, whether it was buried or whether Ezra just kept it close to them or whether he had to dig it up or he had to go find it. Finally, the word of God has made it back on the scene. Amen. Now watch this. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they had heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate. From early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive. Friend, I want to encourage you to make your ear attentive. Turn it on. (laughs) To to change the way that you read this book. To not just have an occasional treatment of God's word, but an attentive treatment of God's word. I think that the the calling on the life of us and our church for this day is to, from this word, because we want to get our word from the word. What God is speaking to me from this word is just a deeper prioritization of the word. Where it becomes the more important thing than other things. Right? He says it like this. He says, in Ezra... The scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood all of these cool names. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people fell asleep. Come on, are we there? All the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. Sometimes I'll call for an amen, which means I agree. that's biblical. That's not just random, right? The people responded, right? There was, this, there was this call. Do you guys get it? People were saying, yes, amen. They began to bless the Lord, lifting up their hands. They, they increased their devotion, amen? amen? Come on, I want to encourage us out of this book that we can still do the same thing. People bowed their heads and they began to worship the Lord and paid attention to the word. Oh, brother, sister, we need to reprioritize the word. I think that if I were to just take a poll, and I'm not going to do it, but I think if I were to take a poll and I were to just say, hey, tell me about what your rhythm in the Bible looks like, you would probably be convicted. Anybody? Anybody would just say, you know what? Yeah, I don't want to do the poll. I I am not the model for what we are talking about. Can I just tell you what that means for you? Let me give you the definition for prioritize. 
a new prioritization. Here's what it means to prioritize something, namely the word. It means to designate or treat this book as more important than other things. Can I submit to you today? Oh, I'm going to clap with you because I need it. Can I tell you today that this pastor, if I'm not careful, I can begin to designate or treat emails or text messages or good things, meetups, working on how to make something better, uh, phone calls, uh, doing other things as more important than the main thing. What I heard the Lord speak to me as I prepared for this sermon is this. Come on, say it with me. Keep the main thing the main thing. Church, I really believe that's what we got to do. I believe we need to keep the main thing the main thing. You know what the main thing is? The main book. This is still the main thing. This book still works. We are a word-driven church. That When you lift up the hood of this church, I pray that you'll find the word in and through it. A church that is empty of the word is powerless. A church that does not have the word at the centerpiece of why it exists and why it does what it does is missing the mark of the church. We are the church. We're the people of God that are driven by his word. And friend, can I just give you something deep? Prioritization means to designate or treat the word, in this case, as more important than other things. But sometimes, if you, if you know what I mean, we tend to drift. We, some of you, I bet, started in January the Bible in the year plan. Today you ain't on the plan. I'm just saying. And, and par, 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 probably because the Bible in the year plan tends to be reading more for information. Right? You, get, you miss a day, now you're like three chapters behind, and you get bogged down, and you get discouraged. But friend, I want to encourage you. To not read the Bible that way, but to read the Bible in a relational way. I love this quote um, from Dr. James Merritt. He says it like this. He says, the primary purpose of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know God. Amen? Come on, Manu, right? God, I want to know you so bad. I want to know you so much that I want to prioritize you over other things. I want to prioritize reading your word, hearing your voice over any other voice because you're the voice that I need. I was talking to somebody right after the first service and this brother said, you know what? I've had a tough season. I haven't been attending church like I should have. I know that I've been out. I've been missing it. But can I just tell you something, Pastor Hyden? The word of God has still been my friend. I I haven't been talking to my brothers and sisters like I need to, but I open up the book and God still is there. Like you 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 can have a constant hearing like God will say, hey, I'm here. I want to talk. Open me. Prioritize me. When you fail at your prioritization of the word, can I tell you what to do? Reprioritize the word. Can I tell you what reprioritize means? All right, let me tell you what reprioritize means. To prioritize again. When you fail at prioritizing the word, stop and be like, oh, I missed it. I've went a whole week and I never opened up God's word. Well, let me tell you what you should do. Prioritize it again. While you got breath in your lungs, while you got eyes that see, while you got ears that hear, spend time in God's word. Allow God to speak his words 
to you. Can I just tell you today that I and you both need it. Our minds need it. By show of hands, unless you don't want to, this could get uncomfortable, but I'm going to raise my hand. Does anybody ever just feel like your mind can go crazy? Woo, I'm glad I'm not alone. Sometimes my mind can get distracted. Sometimes I can get anxious. Sometimes I can get bogged down, weighed down, discouraged, disrupted. Sometimes our minds can get angry. You can get angry at another person. Maybe sometimes your mind might have lustful thoughts in it. Maybe sometimes your mind might have angered thoughts in it. Maybe your mind might have cuss word thoughts in it. No, couldn't be. Here's what you need. You need to fill your mind with the word. I, I know for me, if I'm not careful, my mind can wander. But you know what brings it back is the word. I love how the great Puritan Bunyan said it. He wrote in a great book, The Puritan's Progress. John Bunyan says, an idle man's brain is the devil's workshop. If, if, if your brain is void of the word of God, I promise you the devil will fill it with things that you don't need in it. And you'll be thinking about things. And the proverb says, what you think, you become. But if you think about the word, you think about what God says you are, you think about how, what God speaks of you, that's what you need to hear, brother, sister. Yes. Don't allow your heart, don't allow your mind, don't allow your practice to get far away from God's word. I feel like God spoke to me recently through an illustration that involves my lacking uh, once again. I had a moment uh, just a couple weeks ago that the Lord brought to my attention where I was driving and pulling out of the Starbucks on Eastern and 215. I'm getting ready to make this turn outside and I accepted a phone call. I had my earphones in and I'm focused and I'm driving. And I'm getting ready to make this turn. I got my blinker on and all of a sudden my car just whew, shuts down, turns off. And I'm talking to this brother and I said, hey, hold on one second. I, gotta, I think my car just turned off. And, you know, people start kind of lining up behind you and you get all nervous. You're like, oh, wait one second, one second. And so I try to turn my car back on. It's like, turns back on. And I'm thinking in this moment, what could be wrong? So I glance at the little gas meter. And that thing is, that thing is down below the E. It's red, red. And I said, no. And I push this little button that says, how many miles before E? I wish it just showed it to me, but you got to push that little button. I need, to, I need to get some new priorities. I push the button and it says, a big zero. And I told this gentleman on the phone, I said, I, I'm going to have to call you back. I think I just ran out of gas. Totally embarrassing. And so then I realized this is not good. And in a moment like that, you can only do what you can do, and that's pray to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I remember a moment in the Bible where you multiplied the oil for the widow. I have faith for that miracle right now. Lord, t take this little piece of oil that's left in that gas tank and multiply it just so I can get to a parking space. And, and, and friends... I'm going to break it down to you as pure as I can. I, I, by faith, I went, I pushed that Honda Pilot button in. Psh, the car turned back on, and I put it in neutral, and it coasted right into a parking spot and died. All right? I said, yes! The Lord still does miracles. Yes, he can. 
right? I wasn't going to push it beyond that. I thought about, let me just keep on going, and I realized this thing was done. Like, the Lord, the Lord did what he needed to do. I'm in a parking space, and I had to embarrassingly call Pastor Mike, who I was just with, and I was about to meet up with, and I said, can you come back and pick me up? Because I ran out of gas. And he said, what? <laughs> End of story, all right? <laughs> and I realized as I was thinking about that, I'll put it up here on the screen in a reality statement. Here, here, here's what I want you to catch. If you're empty, you're powerless. If you're empty, you're powerless. If you're on E, you're, if you're on E, you're not going to be able to do the things that you want to do. If you're on E, you're not going to be able to move to the place you want to move. If you're on E, you're going to be powerless for the things you need to be powerful for. You need to fill back up. Every day is an opportunity to go to the book and fill up. Every day is a moment to reprioritize the word. I was putting a lot of things in priority over getting gas. One day I'm going to get there, I'm going to spend my whole paycheck just to try to get a quarter of a tank, all right? I, I was prioritizing everything else, but I, I, I don't know about you, but some days I can prioritize everything else and say, I'm going to read my Bible tonight. Ooh, I'm going to read it tonight, but I'm going to prioritize everything else over that. And what happens? We get to the nighttime, and what do we do? We read ourselves to sleep, amen? Right? You, you, you're hopeful that you'll do it, and you don't do it. And I'll tell you what. If you get that word in right before you go to sleep, it's not always even the best strategy. I think it's a good strategy. I think it's always wise to read the word. But friend, there's something about starting your day with the word. Come on, don't, don't start your day with a bunch of little red notifications. That's a quick way to get discouraged. You might get a bad text message, a bad email, a bad report on the news station, a bad report on your social media. You might start comparison to other people, and all of a sudden now you're late because you're scrolling, all types of stuff. I know none of you have ever done that before, of course, but, but maybe somebody knows what I'm talking about. But if you started with the word, that might be the ammo you need to, to get through all the bad news. right? Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough trouble of its own. Amen, right? So what do, we, what do we do? We face the trouble with the word. I want to encourage you to reprioritize the word. Right? In our, in our last service, there was a young lady in the room named Carol who just turned 89 years old today. Come on. Praise God, right? 89. That's a big deal. And now there's somebody that's in the room today that may be eight years old. I don't know what, how old you are, but from the youngest person in the room to the oldest person in the room, can I just submit to you today, you never graduate from your need of the word. You, you don't, you, you need his word the same today as you needed it when you were first saved. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. Spurgeon talks about this. As he writes, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with your years. The book gets bigger. The book gets clearer. You'll read something and you'll say, I've read that a thousand times. I've never seen that. Reprioritize the word. I love this scripture from Job. Anybody know Job in his book? He begins to lament and talk about his struggle. He says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than the portion of food. I love that idea. That Job says, you know what? Prioritization. One of the reasons why we say let's eat is because we believe this book feeds us. 
Some of us are walking around this church looking like a famine, looking like you're starving because you need a word. And I want to just tell you today, you can get in the word. Somebody say, you can. You can. Read this, read this book. book. Tell the person next to you, say, you can. You can. Read this, read this book. book. Pamela, you can read this book. Amen. Somebody, that, somebody that's by yourself, online right now, hear me. You can read this book. You can. Not only can you, but you should. You really should. It's going to help you. You've got to reprioritize some things. Let me give you one quick graphic that I want to put on the screen, and we can close up and worship team. You can close us out, and we can be thinking about this this week. Prioritize the word. I made this because I want to challenge you for this upcoming week. I'm not challenging you for the rest of the year. Hopefully, you can do it. We're going to post this graphic on our social media after today's service. And what I want you to do is I want you to try to prioritize two chapters in the Bible for the next five days. Let me make sure everybody heard that. Everybody say two. Two Two chapters in the Bible for the next, everybody say five. five. Five days. So you got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I want to encourage you to read a total of two, four, six, eight, ten chapters in the Bible in the next five days. You can do it if you prioritize. Help me slides. What does the word prioritize mean? Let me just see it one more time. Here's what it means. Prioritize means to designate. You got to designate some margin. Yeah. Wake up earlier. Cut out some scrolling. Yeah. Push pause on your favorite reality TV show. <laughs> Stop what you go to lunch with you and the Bible yeah. and open it yeah. <laughs> and treat that time as more important than other things. If you struggle to read the Bible on your phone because you always somehow end up on something else, you started well, but then you clicked off, get you a hard copy of the Bible. We have a rack of Bibles back there. Grab you one. If you need two, grab you two, all right? Do what you got to do. I would imagine that you probably have a Bible somewhere, some, somehow that you need to dust off and you need to get back in. Let me show this graphic one more time. So tomorrow, everybody say tomorrow. Tomorrow Tomorrow we're going to do this. I'm looking forward to hearing from people. Text messages are going to fly of, here's what I got out of Proverbs 16. Oh, brother, here's what I got out of 1 John 1. Oh, sister, I read 1 John 2 on Tuesday. And I read Proverbs 17. I don't know what your rhythm is. Here's my rhythm. Ready? Here's my rhythm. I read the proverb in the morning. I start my day with the the wisdom from the word. I need it. I've been reading it for 10 years. The same chapters every month always get something new. Tomorrow, I'm going to start my morning with Proverbs 16. And at some point during the day, I'm going to carve out five minutes. Everybody say five minutes. Five minutes. I'm going to read 1 John 1. I'm going to text some different people I'm in fellowship with. And I'm going to tell them what I got out of it. It might just be one sentence. Hey, I read 1 John 1. Here's what I caught. And I hope that somebody will give me one back. And then on Tuesday, I'm going to do Proverbs 17, because it's the 17th. I'm going to do 1 John 2. And then on Wednesday, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do Proverbs 18. I'm going to do 1 John 3. And then on Thursday, you know what I'm going to do? Proverbs 19. And 1 John 4, the love chapter. And then on Friday, am I going to quit? No. Are you going to quit? No. Tap the person's shoulder and say, I need you. I need you. I need you. Come on. 1 John 5, Bashan. 
I'm going to 1 John 5 on Friday. And then I'm going to read Proverbs 20. I need to prioritize the word. There's no, there's no other conversation more important than these conversations. There's none. Prioritize it. Make it happen. If somebody's like, hey, can you meet? Be like, nah, I got a meeting. They'd be like, who you got a meeting with? The word. I'm meeting with the word. I can't skip that again. Because it's more important to me this time than last time. That's what I find in Nehemiah 8. The people stopped what they were doing from the morning to the afternoon. And they just listened to the word. And they were built up because of it. The word of God is a faithful friend to the Christian. I want to encourage you that today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Always on time. Always faithful always true. God, forgive us when our priorities are off. God, I know sometimes for me, I'm prioritizing the wrong things, things that can't fill my soul, things that can't help me, but even sometimes things that could potentially hurt me. Today, I prioritize you. I prioritize your voice. I prioritize your whisper. Holy Spirit, take the word of God and put it into the people of God. All for the glory of God. Help us, Lord. I pray that if there's anybody in the room today that doesn't know Jesus, the living word, today would be the day you get to know him. Right now, by faith, you can call upon Jesus' name and you can just say, Jesus, come on, just pray with me. Just say, Jesus, I believe. I need you. I love you. I want you. Speak to me. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for rising from the grave. I believe. Thank you for ascending to the right hand of the Father. Thank you for interceding for me. I believe today. Speak to me through your word. Change my life forever. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.